Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. Mechanical circulatory assist devices replace the function of the heart. How does a surgeon select the right device, and what can it do for a patient with an ailing or failing heart? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. James Slater, Attending Surgeon in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Morristown Memorial Hospital and Overlook Hospital, and in private practice at Mid-Atlantic Surgical Associates in Morristown, New Jersey. Welcome, Dr. Slater. Thank you, Mark. Today we are discussing the implantation of mechanical circulatory assist devices. Dr. Slater, what is a mechanical circulatory assist device? The heart, as you know, is a pump, and there are many diseases which cause that pump to fail. One therapy for this has been cardiac transplantation, where one heart is removed and a new heart is placed. Cardiac transplantation was a huge step forward. It really is a medical miracle. But from an epidemiologic standpoint, it's had very little impact because there are only so many donor hearts available in any one year, somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500. Bioengineers have come up with various kinds of pumps which will take over the function of a human's heart that can be implanted and worn, some in the hospital and some actually out of the hospital, so that the pumping function of the heart continues normally, supplying all of the other organs. These devices are used either as a bridge to transplant while patients are waiting for a heart that's specifically appropriate for them, or can be destination devices on their own. Is this like the Jarvik heart? Exactly right. Jarvik was one of the original inventors of an artificial heart. And when people think of Barney Clark, that first patient who was widely publicized, they think of a huge console in a room full of equipment to make his blood flow through his body. There are now devices which can do that, which are actually as small as a small propeller and do the same function. Now, are these put inside the chest or outside? typically inside the chest, but there are both intracorporeal and extracorporeal types of devices. Explain that, please. An implantable device will be an intracorporeal. Uh, one device uh, hooks up to the left ventricle via the, uh, coring a hole in the apex of the heart. So blood, as it comes into the left ventricle or the main pumping chamber of the heart, rather than being pushed out of the aorta, falls into the pumping chamber of the device. The device then pumps it out its outflow arm, which is typically connected by graft to the aorta. Now, is this something that can completely take over the function of the heart, or is this just a supplement? Well, the most common type of device is referred to as an LVAD, standing for left ventricular assist device. And the lessons learned after the original Jarvik experiment was that we don't actually have to replace all of the chambers of the heart. Of course, the upper chambers are just receiving chambers, and the right ventricle is a relatively small or thin wall ventricle, which only pushes blood to the lungs and then back to the heart. It's really the left ventricle that's the workhorse of the heart. That's the chamber that's responsible for pushing blood out into the aorta and all the way around the body. So the majority of devices are actually just replacements for the left ventricle. As a result, they're called left ventricular assist devices. How long can you keep these devices in someone? Some of these devices have been implanted for literally years. 
And how are they powered? They're powered originally by electrical hookup, more recently by batteries, and there are newer devices on the way with different types of powering mechanisms. Is this something that will take over cardiac transplantation? Well, the goal is that when you have a patient who's in end-stage heart failure, to be able to reach on the shelf and provide for them a device that can pump blood for them is a much more advantageous situation than waiting for the appropriate donor to be in the appropriate clinical circumstances to be able to donate his heart. Is this something that is done commonly all over the country, or are there only specialized centers that do it? This is done all over the country in specialized centers. Every major transplant center in the country, and there are a lot of them, do this. Uh, In addition, this practice is now filtering out to the larger so-called community centers that feed patients into these transplant programs. Can a patient spend as long a time as, say, a year on one of these devices until they get a heart? Yes, and that's only in the bridge to transplant scenario. That is, a dying patient is given one of these devices and hopefully recovers and then waits for their heart. Uh, For elderly patients who are out of the range of transplantation, say older than 65 or 70, who would not be candidates for transplantation based on their age, this can be a destination therapy in itself. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. James Slater, a cardiac surgeon from Mid-Atlantic Surgical Associates in Morristown, New Jersey. Today we are discussing the implantation of mechanical circulatory assist devices. Dr. Slater, how do these patients feel about having a mechanical device either inside or outside their chest? Some of these patients come to this very slowly. Heart failure can be a slow progression where the heart starts to fail, and you can see the need for a device like this months or maybe even years in advance. And those patients are well prepared and understand that if once the medicines that they're taking start to fail them, that this may be an option for them. Other patients get into this situation in a much more acute setting. They have a massive heart attack that wipes out the working muscle of their heart, and this is the only solution that they have, otherwise they'll die. Obviously, those patients find this all more difficult to take because the learning curve is so steep and they have to learn so quickly, but most people make the adjustment. How do these patients physically feel? with an artificial heart, so to speak? There's a great spectrum. Some people don't actually ever make a really very good recovery and it can succumb to complications. This is not easy work. Other patients can progress to going back out to snowboarding. They actually have the ability to be able to do exercise and athletics with these mechanical devices? Yeah, these devices pump blood very, very efficiently. And after all, that's what the heart's job is, is to push blood. And as long as blood is being circulated around the body, all of the organs that depend on that blood will remain healthy. How can these pumps change with the level of activity of the patient? Each of the different pumps works slightly differently based on, I assume, proprietary or bioengineering information. But in general, once the pump fills, then it empties. And so if the remaining portion of the heart is beating faster because the patient's exercising, then the pump will fill faster and as a result, empty faster. Early on with these mechanical devices, there were problems with damage to the cells, platelets and the red cells. Is that still a problem? 
anything that you put into the bloodstream is working against the body's biology, and these do remain a problem. But each iteration of devices appears to deal with these problems more and more effectively. In the future, do you think that having all things being equal, a patient who could have a cardiac transplantation of a human heart or a, so to speak, transplantation of a mechanical heart, what will they choose? I think there is every possibility that in the future, uh, as the generation of these mechanical devices improves, that the mechanical device would be the better choice. When one takes a cardiac transplant, one accepts the need to be on medicines for the rest of their lives. And it's not a small number of medicines, it's a huge number of medicines. In addition, the replaced heart is not forever. These medicines have their own risk factors, and those hearts can go on to develop disease as well. What makes you determine whether you implant internally these devices or keep it externally? It really depends on the scenario. In the more acute scenario that I described, you would typically not do a long-lasting or implantable device. One may just do a bridging device to keep the patient alive in the short term. They can then be returned to the operating room once they're stabilized from, say, their acute myocardial infarction or major heart attack, and they can have a more permanent device placed. So that would be a good opportunity to place a temporary device just to pull the patient out of the fire. For patients who approach this more gradually, who who have been on chronic medicines for congestive heart failure, they are now failing, one might go directly to an implantable device. Give us an idea. Just how common is this? I mean, let's say in a year in the United States, how many patients would have these type of devices implanted? I would say it's not uncommon in a major transplant center to do this operation more than 25 times a year. So it's not something that's done with great frequency? Not great frequency, but not rarity either. Is the technology changing every day? Every day. There's a new generation of devices that is about to, hopefully to be released within this year, that are referred to as axial flow devices that are not as big as their predecessors and are easier to implant and easier to wear. And if you sat on the engineering team to design a new advance in this mechanical circulatory assist device, what would you like to see, at least on your wish list? Contrary to popular belief, in this particular game, smaller is better. Explain, sir. Well, a smaller device is easier to wear for the patient. It doesn't take up as much space. It wouldn't be as jarring, So, and it's easier to implant. So the smaller these devices can be made, the more efficient they can be made, the better off they'll be for the patient, the easier they'll be to implant. Is the reason that there are not a great deal of these being done because there's a plethora of hearts for transplantation or just that the complications and technology is more complex in these mechanical circulatory assist devices? Well, it's an expensive endeavor in terms of the device itself, plus the hospitalization, uh, and then plus the lifestyle. Not all patients necessarily want to have a mechanical uh, heart. There has never been a plethora of donor hearts. As a matter of fact, the the peak of donor hearts occurred in the mid-1980s when we reached, I believe, about 2,400, and the number has never gone much higher than that. Why do you think that is? In America, one has to agree in life to donate their organs uh, in death. And that is not always achieved in life despite wide-ranging programs 
In addition, it's my understanding that families who are available on the scene at the time can override the wishes of a patient. In other cultures, it's not always that way. In addition, donor hearts are not taken from just anybody who dies because that's not how it's done. Now, donor hearts are taken from patients who are essentially brain dead but otherwise alive. And that occurrence just doesn't happen that often on a daily basis. Do you think this trend is going to continue? That's how it has been, and that's how it will continue. And looking in your crystal ball again, do you have any thoughts that what's going to be like 10 years from now with respect to these circulatory assist devices? I think the circulatory assist devices will only continue to become more popular as the bioengineering improves and more prevalent. I want to thank Dr. James Slater, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the implantation of mechanical circulatory assist devices. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.